I have a question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What is the first thing that comes into your mind? Because that is really the key to a healthy spiritual life. What comes into your mind? Is it Christ? Or is it something else? Not that that thing would be bad in and of itself. But Paul was obsessed with bringing Christ to the forefront. Paul always spoke of Christ. He wanted to know about Christ and Christ crucified. It didn't matter what he talked about, he was getting to Christ. And so so it should be with each one of us. No matter where you open your Bible to, it better lead to Christ. Lead to Christ. Steve is in 1 Corinthians now. And Paul said, I want to know about Christ and Christ crucified. I come here today to preach about Christ. The text that I chose a couple months ago was Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. But when you're a visiting preacher, it's a little hard to open up a text and neglect the larger context that it came from. So we're going to look at the larger context of Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, to see what Paul said before he ever got to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. So let's turn to Colossians 1 and see who Paul is speaking to in our text. Before we get there, I know in this congregation that you all have the ESV. I've been using the New King James for decades, and I still use it. So that's what I have in the pulpit. If some words are different, just look at the difference in your Strong's Concordance, okay? Before you say, what's this guy talking about? That ain't in my Bible. All right, chapter 1. Who is Paul speaking to? Right out of the gate, verse 2. To the saints. Do you see yourself as a saint? Or do you see yourself as a sinner? What comes into your mind? A saint who sins? Or a sinner who wants to be a saint someday, hopefully, if you measure up? Depending on what denomination you came from. Many are striving to become saints when you become a saint by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts his letter by saying to the saints, grace and peace to you. You're a saint because of the grace of God. And that grace will bring you peace 
peace with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul is going to go into a section which our lives, our congregations should look like. He's looking and speaking to a vibrant congregation. Paul says, we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying, how often? Always. Always. It's not that Paul's an apostle, he's a special guy. He prays for everybody. We are all, every believer, part of the royal priesthood. And it's the job of all of us, praying for the saints, always giving thanks to God, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints, especially that one sitting next to you, the one behind you, the one in front of you. True Christian community, forgiving one another even as Christ has forgiven you. Paul's calling the saints, giving thanks for them. Come to pray always. He heard of their faith. He heard of their love for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope which is in laid up for you in heaven, which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is what? Bearing fruit. Matter of fact, some texts say bearing much fruit. True Christian community, believers, bear fruit. There's no such thing as I raised my hand as one time, I signed the card, I put my hand on the TV set, I did some kind of thing, and I'm a Christian, but my life hasn't changed. If you are a Christian, in the new covenant, God has given you a new heart. He has put his spirit in you. He has changed your life, changed your will, changed your desires. The things you once loved, you now hate. And the thing that you hated, in particular Christ, now you love. You want to hear about Christ. You want to love Christ. You delight in Christ. Your life has been changed, bringing forth fruit. As it is also among you since the day that you heard and knew Intimately, what? The root list, the rules, the grace of God. Somebody came to you and told you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody told you of the grace of God. Someone told you, listen, you can never measure up. You are never going to be good enough. You cannot approach the thrice holy God any way but through Christ. You need an atonement for your sins. For all have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. 
The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I recognize this amongst the Galatians. In verses 9 through 14, we see Paul's burden and his love for these saints. Look down with me at verse 9. It's still in chapter 1. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. Brothers and sisters, I cannot stress this enough about praying for your brothers and sisters. The prayer meeting universally is the Cinderella of the church. People do not come out to pray. And if you're not coming out to pray, the chances are you're probably not praying at home. Or if you are praying at home, it's probably rote. You have a laundry list. Say my mother, my father, my aunt, my uncle, my brother, my sister, my... And you go down the list. Prayer is supposed to be an intimate thing. Your heart crying out to God Almighty. Lord, I cried out to you in my day of trouble. And you heard me. And you inclined your ear to me. Prayer is to be an intimate thing. Praying always. Always. And what is he praying for them? That they would be filled with knowledge and all wisdom, spiritual understanding, so that for this reason, this is the purpose why I'm praying for you, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Not haphazardly, walking worthy, fully pleasing him. That is what a Christian is called to. Walk worthy, fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit, much fruit. I come to give you life and to give it to you, what? More abundantly. Not this, woe is me, I'm just slipping on through, I just want to make it to glory. It's just supposed to be a vibrant, powerful life. Praying, loving, forgiving, understanding who Christ is, fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in what? Every good work. Somehow people think if you preach about bearing fruit, that somehow that's works righteousness. Bearing much fruit as a result of knowing who you are in Christ. All of Paul's letters are laid out the same way. He spends the first half of the epistle or letter telling you who you are in Christ. And the second half, this is what you must do. Another way to understand it is, the first half is the indicatives. Indicative, this indicates who you are and what Christ has done for you. The second half are imperatives. It's imperative now, this is what you must do. All of his letters are the same. Religion is the other way around. Here are the imperatives. You do this, and God will love you, and he'll save you. But that's not how Paul taught the scripture. 
He's praying that they're fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Once again, giving thanks. Many Christians, you can barely get a smile out of them. And it's like giving thanks. Giving thanks. Are you thankful for... Oh, it's like, oh boy, I hope they sit in a different row today. We are to be thankful. We are to love the brethren. Loving the brethren, giving thanks to the Father who has, okay? He has some indicatives. He has qualified us to be partakers. Is that not a glorious truth? Partakers of what? Of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has qualified us. You didn't meet the qualifications. You got an F on the test. You got a zero. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none good. There's none righteous. There's none who seek after them. There's none who could do good. We got zeros. He has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us. Notice, has passed. Has delivered us, passed. From what? The power of darkness. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Many believers don't have a problem believing that the Lord delivered them from the penalty of sin. They have a problem believing that he delivered them from the power of sin. And they make excuses for the sin still in their lives. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and did what? And this is why I let you know about what version you're looking at. He has transferred us or conveyed us. He has transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love. How precious is that? Is that precious to you right now when I just read that? I mean, I know it's precious that you got transferred from one kingdom into the other. But that Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote such beautiful words as that. The kingdom of the son of his love. That's the kingdom that you have been brought into. You were dead in your sins and trespassing. He made you alive. He gave you a new heart, put his spirit within you, wrote his law on your heart, transferred you. He took you from this pit of hell, sin, damnation, condemnation, all wickedness, and transferred you into the Son into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, is that not enough to produce love and good works in your life? Do you need to get beat over the head with a stick? Is that what you need the pedagogue to do to whoop you over the head with a stick? He has 
done such a work in our life. He became sin for us in order that we would become the righteousness of God. What comes into your mind when you think of God? That's what you are. Right? I mentioned. He became sin for us so that for this reason, this is the purpose why, that we who hated him, and the Bible says you did hate him because the common mind is enmity with God. A lot of believers, they got problem understanding that, oh, well, I, I kind of loved them a little bit. I wanted them, but carnal mind enmity brings you into the kingdom of his glorious son. And notice verse 14. In whom we have redemption. Not that we're going to get redemption. If you have been transferred, you have redemption. You have redemption. You go home and you look at your bank book and you go, oh, I got X amount of dollars in the bank. Bank of America tells me that. Your Bible says you have redemption. Is that not enough for you? Is that not enough for you to love Jesus Christ? We have redemption. We have been delivered from this kingdom into the other kingdom. He became sin for us that we would become the righteousness of God. Become the righteousness of God? You were a child of hell. You were a child of the devil. Scripture says Satan was your father. That we would become the righteousness of God? This is how Paul lays out the truths before he ever presents it's imperative that you do this. In whom we have redemption, what? How? Through his blood. That's why Christians make a big thing out of blood. You have that redemption through his blood. Amen. And what do we have? The forgiveness of sins. Do you know of the peace that that brings your mind? Having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Peace with God. Do you remember being younger? Or a little older? Before you knew of forgiveness of sins. That you have redemption, the forgiveness of sin through the blood. How that conscience of yours would yell at you and scream at you. Damned, condemned, enemy of God, guilty as charged. And that conscience brings up sins from when you were a little person. The wickedness when you were 8 years old, 10, 15, 20, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. That wickedness, that sin that you say, God forbid if anybody should ever find out about that. I would be so ashamed. But for those that believe in Christ, they will never be ashamed. And that was your condition when God took you, when he made your life. Dead in sins and trespasses and guilt. 
that conscience will bring it up and you try to make excuses. You try to run, you try to hide just like Adam and Eve. They're running, they're hiding. One sin, they're running and hiding. We got thousands of them and it's like, oh, I'm a pretty good person. One sin, they're running. And what did the Lord do? Want to see Christ? What did the Lord do? He come. He provided the skin. He covered their sins. He promised them. One would come to crush the serpent's head. All the way back. He said, where's Christ? There he is. There's Christ. But that conscience, knowing that you. That's why Paul's writing, in whom we have redemption through the blood of, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And I didn't know you all were going to pick that text. I'll look at that later on, verses 15 through 20. I got it in my notes to go to next. When uh, the fellow was reading, I go, uh-oh, I better change that up a little bit. <laughs> all right, so let's, I'll save that to later, what he read. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, let's go down to verse 26. To show you how Paul is ending that chapter. The mystery which has been hidden from the age. Well, let me go to 24, keep it in context. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages, from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Do you realize what a privilege that is? The prophets, Peter said, they longed to see what it was they were talking about. They didn't even know. They wanted to see it. And we have the privilege that has now been revealed. The mystery was concealed, and now it's revealed to the saints. To the saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery amongst the Gentiles. Which is, this is the mystery that was concealed, that is now revealed. It's not all these mysteries, all these books on mysteries. 10,000 mysteries that can change your life. There's one mystery that can change your life. Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. This is who I'm preaching. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. That's the mystery. Christ in you. So now I've showed you, I've shown you who Paul is talking to. To the saints. At Colossae. Let's start chapter 2. For I want you to know, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. For I want you to know what a great conflict 
I have for you and those in Laodicea. That name ought to ring a few bells. Those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. Once again, here's Paul. Praying that they would be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures are in Christ. All the treasures are in Christ. Now verse 4. Now this I say, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Lest anyone should deceive you. Beginning in verse 1 of the second chapter, Paul says there's a conflict going on. For I want you to know what a great conflict that I have for you. It wasn't just for Colossians. It wasn't just for Laodicea. It was for Galatians. It was for the Ephesians. It was for the Philippians. He says, I have this great conflict. That word in Greek is agon. A-G-O-N, agon. Put a Y on that, and you know what word we get. Agony. Paul was always in agony over the churches. Because there was always a conflict going on in the churches. That word conflict there, agon, speaks of the Greek games where they would do battle, where they would fight, where they held the races. Paul's saying this conflict is going on. And in verse 4, he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. King James, beguile you. NASB, delude you. Does anybody like to be beguiled, deluded, deceived? Does anybody want to leave here today and walk outside in the parking lot and somebody deceive you and delude you? Personally, I don't, I don't like to be deceived and deluded. And Paul says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. He just spoke to all of the saints, all these glorious truths. They're bearing fruit. They understand in grace and peace. They're forgiving one another, loving one another. And now Paul says, ah, now I got to get around to what the problem is. Notice, that there is always an attack in the church of Jesus Christ. Always. There is always an attack 
in the Church of Jesus Christ. And when the attack comes, and in particular in the book of Colossians, it's by Gnostics, it's by Judaizers, and ascetics. How do you fight against false teaching and false doctrine? There's only one way, with the truth. Paul is always concerned with the truth because he understands the dangers of false doctrine and false teaching. And if you and if you one reason why look at the church of Ephesians at, at Ephesus, look at the church of Philippi, look at the church of Colossia. And notice he said, when you read this letter, read it to the Laodiceans. Any of you that know your Bible, well, Laodicea, the church there is a byword. Christ warns the churches in the book of Revelation. And Paul is warning this church here. And you're deluded already if you don't think it can happen to you. Those churches are null and void. You don't hear nothing about Colossae today, Philippi today, Ephesus today. You don't hear nothing about the churches in Germany, the churches in Switzerland, the churches in France, the churches in England. And for the most part, unfortunately, most of the churches in America. For they have fled the truth. Most believers and the church as a whole has no stomach for the truth. And it hides under the guise of unity. Well, you know, Bill, you got to understand. You got to understand where their heart is. You have to. Paul doesn't deal with false doctrine and false teaching that way. Because he knows what happens. Look at the history of the church. And if you think that it can't happen to you, like I said, you're deceived already. Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Laodicea, Germany, Switzerland, all great Look at the Puritans in New England. Null and void. What happened? I'll tell you one thing. Those churches I mentioned, they all have one thing in common. False doctrine and false teaching. In all those books I mentioned, by, written by Paul, that is what is mentioned. So he tells them, beware, anyone should deceive you. Beware, cheat you, take you captive. Through what? Philosophy, systems, tradition, not according to Christ. Other things than Christ. Realize this. Whatever takes away or adds to the gospel, to Christ, is always the attack. And what happens is Christ is always buried. You put him back in the grave, you put his grave clothes back on, and you hide him and you bury him. And you can do it by good things in and of themselves. 
in and of themselves. I'll hold off on that further thought there. Because Paul, once again, look at verses 9 and 10. Well, let's go to verse 8 first. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. And notice, since our text is about set your mind on things above, notice what it's saying there. These things are of the world. Philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Not according to Christ. All of these philosophies and traditions of men, according to the basic principle of this world. They kind of make sense. Kind of makes sense. But Paul says, listen, look at verses 9 and 10. For in him, in who? Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead. Notice what Paul had told us in chapter 1, verse 27. Let me remind you. The mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. Christ in you. The text we're looking at now says that all of the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily. And Christ is in you. And I'd ask you the question today, is Christ in you? And if Christ is in you, you have no doubt about Christ being in you. If he takes an old stony heart of yours and rips it out of you and puts a new heart in there, a heart of flesh, you know about it. You know if you've been regenerated. The Godhead, it says, dwells in Christ. In the scripture, I just showed you, it said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look at uh, Romans 8. About this issue about Christ in you. Romans 8. Verses 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh. There's no such thing as the teaching, I'm in the flesh today. If you're in the flesh, you're not regenerate. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. If, 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 indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. How do you not know if the spirit of God dwells in you? Now, if anyone does not, now notice how he phrases this. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, brothers and sisters, we are to be a supernatural people. 
What you see in Christ is supposed to be seen in believers. The fruit of the Spirit is to be prevalent in your life. It should be love and peace and joy and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and long-suffering. They should be dominant. You should love the Lord with all your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength. You should love your neighbor that way, especially the one that you can't stand. And we got brothers and sisters in the church that think you can hate your spouse and hate your children. And Are you in Christ? And if Christ is in you, the, if Christ is in you, the body is what? Part dead, kind of dead. It's dead. Go to the cemetery. There's no dead bodies coming up out of the graves there. Your body as a child of God is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. You see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Holy Spirit. The mystery that has been hidden for all throughout history until 2,000 years ago has been revealed. And that mystery is Christ in you. That's why I can't help but preach Christ. Anything else is less than. Is less than. That's the way you're arguing in Scripture, from the greater to the lesser. I got Christ. I don't want the lesser. Can the lesser help me to some degree? Yes. But as long as it points me to Christ. Many believers get in every single hobby horse you could possibly think of. And it's like, where's Christ? I spent an hour talking to you, I didn't hear about Christ. I heard a prophecy, I heard of Israel, I heard of sanctification, I heard of uh, the, the law, I heard of Bible reading, uh, praying. Uh, I heard all these things which could be good in and of themselves, but when that's the thing, you lost the main thing. Yes. All of those things are to point you to Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul... He makes it real simple. Verses 6 and 7. How did you receive Christ? Are you As you therefore have received Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It can't get any simpler than that. How did you receive Christ? Was it making a promise? I promise to do this, Lord. If you get me out of jail this time, I really, I promise I won't knock that old lady over the head again and steal her money. If you do this, if you do the... You receive Christ, how? By faith. You're justified by faith. You are sanctified by faith. He says, as you therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Rooted and built up. Just like that oak tree. Its roots going down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. We are called to go deeper and deeper in Christ. 
The scripture says we're being conformed into the image of Christ. Being conformed. In a process, being conformed. If I'm being conformed, being means today I better be more Christ-like than I was yesterday. Being conformed is not I accepted the Lord 40 years ago. Being conformed is day by day. I am seeking Christ, loving Christ, adoring Christ, worshiping Christ. My life is about Christ. And everything and everybody falls somewhere behind that. Christ being first. Christ being first. Can anybody tell me how long I've been at this? <laughs> no, I mean, time-wise. I'm still good? You're fine. You can go until 1230. Oh, beautiful. Okay. I don't want no one to... Drag me out of here. All right. So, I mentioned about Christ being enough. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what? Verse 10. And you are complete in him. Complete. Complete. That word complete means full. Made full. Filled to full, filled to the top. What are you going to add to fullness? What you have to do is by faith start walking in that fullness. You're not going to get fullness. You have to start walking in the fullness that you already have. That is what Paul is telling you. You have the deity dwelling inside of you. Now, simply by faith, you walk according to what the scripture has said. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Your prayers are guided by the Holy Spirit. You read the scripture through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. You ask him before you read, Lord, fill me with wisdom and understanding and knowledge that I would behold your glory, that I would see great things, that I would understand the scripture, that I would not necessarily read the scripture. And this is one of the side things that believers get in trouble. Many read scripture with their confessions in one hand. They read the scriptures with creeds in the other hand. They read scriptures with men in mind, commentaries in mind. Okay? And as I said earlier, a lot of things are good in and of themselves. But when you put confessions that are written by men, creeds that are written by men, uh, Teachers that are written by men, you mentioned about Paul and Apollos, I'm of so-and-so, and I'm of, you hear that all the time. I'm of Calvin, I'm of Luther, I'm of this denomination, I'm of that denomination, I'm of this one, I adhere to this creed, I adhere to this confession, I adhere to this, to that, to the other thing. And like I said, many of those things can help you out. But you better be willing, when you see dross, and you're reading your Bible, and there's dross and any of those things I mentioned, you better find the nearest window and throw it out the window. Because they were written by men. They're not inspired by the Lord. The Lord has used sinful men and women throughout the ages to bless the body of Christ. But we're not to worship them. We're not to put those things over Christ. So understand what I said. Don't make it say, I'm saying something that I'm not saying. 
believers have a tendency to do that too. So Paul, once again, is going to remind us after all these glorious truths. Go down to verse 13 to 15. Same chapter. He's telling you, don't be deluded. Beware. Don't let anybody cheat you. It's like, he's warning and warning and warning. And if you don't take his advice, not his, even his advice, his command. If you neglect his command, then you have no one to blame but yourself. You've been warned. I had a Rottweiler at one time. It said on the gate, beware dog. Now, if you opened the gate and said, I don't believe that. And he bit you, well, you disregarded the command. Beware dog. So Paul, now he's going to bring out a glorious truth, your truths that you can meditate on the rest of your life and through all eternity. Beginning at verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, being dead in your trespasses. That's why believers cannot come to Christ of their own free will. They are dead. They cannot choose Christ. Unless faith is granted to them. Unless repentance and faith is granted. And you, you were dead. And he came to you in his mercy, just like he did to Adam and Eve. He was under no obligation to come to Adam and Eve. They ran. He could have left them where they were. You were running from him. He could have left you where you were. But he took you, transferred you, one kingdom to the next. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And whenever you mention uncircumcision, circumcision, this was written to a large Jewish audience. The antennas start going up real quick. Start mentioning uncircumcision and circumcision. He has what? Made Alive. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you what? All trespasses. Now, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I tell you, most preachers don't believe it because they keep on bringing up the sins of the people. They keep on bringing it up. And he said he has forgiven us all of our trespasses. And the reason why many just keep preaching law, 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 is if you tell people that, they're going to be antinomians. Maybe some of you are saying today, well, what's an antinomian? Antinomian means you're against the law. So if you tell people that their sins are forgiven them, all of them. You mentioned it earlier. Past, present, future. Well, if you tell people that, they're going to say to themselves, hey, I might as well go sin up a storm. Paul anticipated that in Romans 6. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? God forbid! In Hebrew, Kalila, don't even let it enter your mind. And Paul, he's bringing this in when he's talking about false teachers, about being deceived and everything. And he says, and you being dead in your 
trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him with Christ he made you alive you were dead and made you alive having forgiven you all trespasses pay attention to verse 14 if you don't believe it research it look it up look it up in the Greek and the Hebrew whatever you got to do this is what your Bible says having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Handwriting of requirements or ordinances. Now, you have to study yourself. I'm not going to bind your conscience. But that word there for ordinances or requirements, in the Strong's Concordance, that means either dogma, doctrine, decrees, or the requirements of the law of Moses. That's what you got to settle on. It means one of them or a combination of them. Because dogma, doctrine, and decree can be the requirements of the Mosaic law. And that Mosaic law, every Jew knows it. Every believer in the first century knows it. You read your Bible, you know it. You see the commands in Deuteronomy about adding to the law, taking away from the law of Moses, curses upon you. It says in my Bible, like I said, you have to come to your own conclusion what that is. Because it says, these requirements that was against you, contrary to you, he, Christ, is taken out of the way, having nailed it. He's taken it out of the way and nailed it. That is the question for you. I'm convinced in my mind what the it is. You have to be convinced. Because you're going to stand before Almighty God. I'm not going to be holding your hand and you're not going to be holding my hand. The Lord's going to say to me, Bill, what did that it mean? And I am firmly convinced that it is the law of Moses. And it was nailed to the cross. And it means 613 Mosaic laws. There were 613. There was not 600, 500 100, you probably know where I'm going with it. It wasn't 10, and it certainly wasn't 9. You cannot take the law of God and chop it up. And I know many listening today, and probably even many sitting here today, don't agree with that. And I will show you my one text. I'm not going to go down this rabbit trail. All I would ask you is please come to the conclusion what it means. Turn to Acts 15. And just show you 
why I believe what I believe that it was the Mosaic law, all of the Mosaic law. And that as believers, we are not lawless. If you read 2 Corinthians 3, Paul said he was a Jew to the Jew. He was without law to those without law, but not being without law, but in law to what? Christ. We're under the law of Christ. Acts 15. We're not antinomians. Acts 15. We'll look at verses 1, 5, and 10 and 11. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is what's going on at a conference in Jerusalem. Various leaders of the church have gathered in Jerusalem for this question. What are we going to do with the Mosaic law? You have Jews that was predominant in the beginning of the church. You read it in every book that Paul wrote about the Judaizers and the problem. Verse 1, verse 5. It cannot be clear here. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, notice, who believed, they rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to what? To keep the law of Moses. Every one of those apostles that were there, outside of Luke, they were Jews. They knew exactly what the Mosaic Law says. They know exactly what Deuteronomy says. They know exactly what Exodus says. They know exactly what the Lord commanded the people. And Paul said what? You put yourself under the law, you keep the whole law. He didn't say you put yourself under the law, you keep 9 or 10. You keep that 613. You better get that shrimp out of your, out of your fridge. You better separate the milk and, and, and the meat. You better separate the cotton and the polyester shirts. You better separate this and forsake that and do this and throw out the clams and throw out the pork chops. You do it all. That's what the scripture says. I know creeds and confessions throughout the years have watered it down, have changed it, have put a, a uh, template on top of the law of Moses and divided it into three parts. Moral, ceremonial, and judicial. The scripture knows nothing of that. And I'm going to show this. And whoever would believe, I just want to make you aware of this text in 10 and 11. If you struggle with this, if you follow systems, if you follow creeds, if you follow the teachings of men, just know that that separation goes back to Aquinas in the Catholic Church, and Calvin and them and Zwigli brought it in to the New Testament. That three-part separation, tripartite. 10 and 11. Now, therefore, why do you test God? Brothers and sisters, I'm terrified when I read that. And I know what I just said over the last few minutes will cause many to become angry. To, and hopefully they would just dig in and see if these truths because of that text. Now, therefore, why do you test God? 
by putting a yoke under the neck of the disciples. I don't want to be known as a man that puts a yoke on your neck. I want to be known as a man that takes that yoke off your neck. Christ said, take my yoke upon you, it is easy. At the conference in Jerusalem, they're saying, the yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Who do you think that, that's Jews talking about? All the Jews in the Old Testament. I talk about Gentiles that were painting themselves blue, dancing around fires in Ireland. Talking about Jews. Why do you want to put this yoke on the neck of the disciples? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they are. And I, I'm going to tell you, I struggled with that for months and months and months. Because I know many people struggle with it. Many people don't accept it. Many people don't believe it. I just want you to understand where I get that from in the text. And to challenge you that if you're being deceived, to believe that you're under the law of Moses, if you believe that way, that you would search the scriptures. And if I'm wrong about it, I would pray that you would pray for me that I would see the truth of that text. Because I take those words serious. Why do you test God? All right. I, fa- I, f- I said it. I said it. I wrestled with the Lord for weeks. I'm not saying nothing, Lord. I'm not going to say it. Verses 16 and 19 in chapter 2. So he's saying about, it's been taken out of the way, and what's the first thing that he does? Verse 16, so then, therefore, let no one judge you in food or drink. All right? In other words, enjoy the pork chops and the shrimp. But if you don't want it, that's fine too. Or regarding a festival or a new moon or what? Sabbath. That's, that's the fourth commandment. That's quote unquote in the Ten Commandments. He says, don't let nobody judge you. Why? Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. All of those. That's why I started off by saying all the scripture points to Christ. Everything is about Christ. You read in Hebrews 8, 5 and 6, about a shadow. Hebrews 10, 1, a shadow. The illustrations point in the head too. We have the substance, the reality. Now, I have this question. Why, when we have the noonday sun, why, if we have the noonday sun, would you return to the shadow of a candle? The Ten Commandments, the 613, pointed to Christ. You have Christ. And we go back to the candle. And it shows a little shadow. And it's saying Christ is the substance and the reality. You have Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's written the law of Christ on your heart. You know what's right and wrong now. You might make excuses for it, but you know the difference. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. 
and it's getting late, so let me skip ahead to the text. So I hope I put that in context for you. All right. So now listen. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says this. If then you were raised with Christ. Well, in verse 20 of the previous chapter, he said, Therefore, if you died with Christ. If you died. If you were raised with Christ. Seek those things that are above where Christ is. Seek those things that are above. Not all these earthly things. Not the rules of the Gnostics, the legalists, the ascetics. You see them all in the, in the previous right. Don't let no one judge your food or drink regarding festival or new moon or Sabbaths. Then it goes on, uh, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intrude into those things which they have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished grows with the increase. Verse 21, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Basically, it's all rules. And it's all regulations. As opposed to Christ and Christ alone. Do this and this will be true. Don't do that and this won't be true. Do this, adhere to this, follow these rules, follow those regulations. Do this and the other thing. And depending on what congregation you're sitting in and what denomination you're sitting in, they got the rules and the regulations and the, and the list. And the emphasis becomes on that. And that's what the problem is. Christ always gets buried behind, beneath rules and regulations and creeds and confessions and everything else. And it's all said and done under the guise of, we're doing this so you see more of Christ. But what happens is Christ gets hidden. And Paul's saying, listen, I told you for two chapters now. Now, if you've been raised with Christ, you were dead, made your life. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. What is that a picture of? The absolute sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He's sitting at the right hand of God Almighty. He's sovereign. And that's why it was a blessing to read that text in the beginning. And you know what? We're going to end right there. All right? Raise with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice, Christ, verse 1, verse 1, Christ, verse 3, Christ, verse 4, Christ. As I said, Paul was obsessed with Christ, and I'm going to finish now with the five verses from chapter 1. This is what, seek Christ. Who is this Christ that we're to seek? Not these earthly things, these earthly things. Don't handle, don't touch, don't eat, don't do this, don't walk on that side of the street, walk on this side. Do this, rules, regulations, recipe preaching. If you do this, three parts of this, two parts of that, shake it up, this is what you got. That's not the Bible. 
Christ is the Bible. And I'm going to show you now in closing. Chapter 1, this is what you set your mind on. Chapter 1, beginning of verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. By Christ. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible. Notice, your mind set on Christ, those are kind of the invisible things. You need faith to believe that. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Everything's for Christ, not you, not your denomination, not your hobby horse, for him. And he, uh, uh, all things and in him all things consist. Your justification, your sanctification, your glorification, your union with him, everything is in him, through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Number one, in everything. Not spouses, children, money, jobs, confessions, creeds, denominations, nothing. In Christ, you have everything. For Christ is all. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. I don't need anything else but Christ. For in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things. All things to himself. By him, notice again, whether things on earth and in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is who I proclaim. This is the Christ that I love. This is the one that has reconciled me to God the Father. This is the one that you have to come to today if you have never come to the Father through Christ. You need to be reconciled to God Almighty. Because Romans 5 says that we were enemies without strength, Powerless. And that when we were in that condition, that he reconciled us to God. You hear people say all the time, are you saved? Are you saved from what? Are you saved from your problems? Are you saved from your addictions? Are you saved from your whatever? Are you saved? This is the question. Are you saved from the wrath of God? People don't like to talk about the wrath of God today. That offends people. What are people going to think? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God. To as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not of the flesh, not of the will of the man, not of blood. Your mother and father ain't going to save you. Your denomination ain't going to save you. Being a Jew ain't going to save you. Being a Gentile ain't going to save you. Only Christ saves. To as many as received him. You must receive him. You must come to Christ. You must be reconciled to God Almighty. And if you have never been reconciled, it's only the mercy of God that you are hearing one more plea for you to come. Because Christ said, Come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor, all ye that are heavy laden, heavy laden and weighed down. Ain't you sick and tired of being sick and tired of your sin, of your running, of your hatred of others, of God? Are you not sick and tired? When this glorious Savior, I read to you about the law of Moses that said it's a yoke. We couldn't do it. Our fathers couldn't do it. And Christ says, come on to me. My yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. If you never come to Christ, I wouldn't invite you to come to Christ. I would plead with you to honor Christ. Even as the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And you can be reconciled to Almighty God today. If you will simply come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb. Not behold whatever you put in the blank. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb that taketh away the sins of the world, meaning your sin and my sin, if we will simply come to him by faith. And Father, we thank you that you've made the scripture plain to us. But unfortunately, we make things so hard. We get weighed down with all kinds of other things. And Father, I pray, I want to keep this short. I know I went over time. Father, we just ask your blessing upon us. And we confess, yes, we can be deluded. We can be deceived. And we would pray that you would open our eyes to the truth. For we simply want to know the truth because Christ said it has set us free. And we pray, Father, that we wouldn't be prideful and say, no, 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 we can't. That we would study this Show ourselves approved that we would see if these things be true. For none of us are born with all wisdom and all things. All of us are growing. We're being conformed into the image of Christ. And Father, that's our prayer that we would be more Christ-like, whatever that would entail. And Father, if there be any in our midst that have never come to you, today would be the day of salvation. Even now, you would rip out that old stony heart and give them a new heart. And you put your spirit in them and you write your law on that new heart. And that they would 
see the beauty of Christ day by day. And Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and I ask your blessing upon this gathering. In Christ's precious name, amen.